Five stars. Pretty accurately portrays the crazy Marxist left that has heavily infiltrated the U.S. today. Very prescient with what we've seen happen in Afghanistan recently. The President Prescott could easily be Joe Biden before he started getting dementia. Dementia spelled D-I-M-E-N-T-I-A. The ending is a little forced and awkward, I'll admit, but overall an entertaining read that offers a pretty spot on glimpse of where some of the crazy woke left wants to take the U.S. I'd be willing to bet most of the one-star ratings here were by people who didn't even read the book and just hate Ben because he's a conservative. But that's what woke socialists are good at, misrepresenting and slandering those that disagree with their failed socialist theories. Well, welcome to The Socialist Shelf, uh, everyone's favorite show where we talk about failed socialist theories. I'm Jacob, here in the same room with Johns. Yes, yes, we have been in fact photographed together as well. We're not the same person. Uh, did, did people think we were? I mean, we're, we're both... Are we still going with the marble busts thing? I mean, like, the, the it's still the picture, so I, I, would, I, would, say, I would say so. Um, we need a marble... A marble bust of Ben Shapiro would be pretty cool, though. To, to, to add it. To, like, to shoot at, I assume. Yeah, well, something like that. Um, absolutely. We are joined today because we are recording in my office, where I record, but uh, uh, Joss has not recorded here before, with my handsome husband, Sydney. <laughs> Sydney, welcome to the show. You are now joining the likes of, um, you know, Vijay Prashad and, and, and others by being a Socialist Shelf guest. How does it feel? Oh, uh, great. Um, yeah, I'm definitely on their same level. So. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I didn't marry Vijay Prashad. I married you. So, um, And tonight's book is a three-man job. So, welcome. We're happy to have you. We need you. Absolutely, because we are talking about... Dun, 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 ben Shapiro's True Allegiance. He's, he's the writer of several books, is Ben Shapiro, but this is his only fiction book so far. I, I would say that all of his books are fiction books, but yeah. this is his only novel. <laughs> this is his I only read, novel. Um, I read The Right Side of History. Oh, did you really? Yeah, it, take a shot every time he says the phrase Jerusalem and Athens. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Where he real. makes the correct claim in the first chapter that, quote, Jerusalem and Athens invented art, science, and culture, which is, well... Not the book we're talking about, but that's the frame of reference we're, we're, we're coming at. That's This is the guy. And he's talking about, like, old-ass Jerusalem, but he obviously intends, like, ideological continuity with the current Israeli settler colonial projects. And, like, his, as we'll see in his book, you know, his politics have ideological continuity with something historical. Something uh, along those lines, yeah. yeah. Also, um, just for a note, I said we're recording in the same room, so... If the audio is echoey or you hear thunder or rain outside, you can't be mad at us. This has been Jacob's excuse of the week, um, which may be a continuing segment because I usually have those. Um, so do we want to talk about Ben Shapiro as a guy? Because like, I didn't write a full bio for this one. I don't know if you did either. But like, we all kind of are aware of who Benjamin Aaron Shapiro is. Yes. Interestingly enough, born in 1984, which I thought was very funny <laughs> considering how much he invokes it. That's On awesome. um, January 15th, was that Martin Luther King Day that year? It, it, might, it might have been. been. 
I, I, I didn't bother to look it up. Yeah, no, he, he, you know, I'm not going to say he needs no introduction, but he's got a big enough profile. Like He unfortunately needs no introduction. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's kind of, it's been 10 years, but he was kind of, when I was in college, the sort of conservative wunderkind. He was the youngest nationally syndicated columnist in the United States. From the age of 17, yes, yeah. yes. And you know, nowadays he's the editor emeritus for, the, uh, for that news outlet, uh, The Daily Wire. Which is that um, that conservative outlet that was started with uh, seed money from uh, the petroleum industry, the Wilkes brothers? Yeah, of course. he was he was with Breitbart for a while, and then he left because he was like, oh, they even they were too anti-Semitic for him, you know, being a Jewish man. Um, occupations listed on his Wikipedia are attorney, businessman, columnist, media personality, and political commentator. Really, the last one is the only thing anybody knows him for. I don't know anything about the attorney the attorney thing. Um, he left California to um, to settle himself and the Daily Wire in Tennessee because in California he couldn't exploit his workers hard enough. Um, what was funny I found out is that um, the Tennessee legislature actually passed a resolution commending him for uh, settling there and choosing to become a resident of the volunteer state. And the resolution included the words, facts don't care about your feelings. Fantastic, <laughs> which is his catchphrase. I read that he started writing his first novels at age six or seven, I assume, including this one. I, this one was completely... Yeah, no, no, I, I would say, you know, I would say that, but there's always, there's so many niche, like, tweet of the week things in that, that that's the only reason I'm not convinced he wrote this book entirely at age five. Um, well, you know, yeah, it, it, it was brewing. It was brewing, you know, and certainly it's... Uh, we should talk about the length of this book. It's not. It's longer than a novella, certainly. But I mean, Sydney, you read it in like less than a day. Yeah, it, it is not very long. It's, it's a slog to the brain, but. Oh yeah. How would you describe Sydney your your I don't know your reaction physically, mentally, spiritually to reading this 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 work of art? Uh, not good. I mean the. The physical writing, like the prose, reminds me of like a twelve-year-old's first fan fiction. Mm. So remarkably so that I had to check and make sure I was reading the right thing. It's it's bad. I mean, like having I, having knew it would be. Yeah, having having been twenty-year-olds who have written twelve-year-olds well, who have written fan fiction. Yeah, you know, we we can speak from experience, certainly. Yeah, of course. But I mean, even at twelve, like like. It's nobody. Nobody is this racist that young. <laughs> no, it's it's impressively like racist. That that is like a. It, it's and it's it's impressively incompetent. That's the thing about this book that like shocked me. Like, I knew it was gonna be bad. I knew it was gonna be obviously problematic. I knew the politics would be bad. I knew it would be pedantic. I didn't know how hard it would be able to go on all of those things. Like, I just did not think it had a like I almost want to apologize to Bill Clinton and James Patterson for saying it's the worst thing I could ever read. Well at because the time it was. He, at the time it was, but you can go lower. I, I don't want to jinx myself in saying you can't go lower than this because I there's maybe no bottom I and mean, maybe there's a, if there's ever a sequel to this it will be that well, because because that's the thing. And you know, well I mean and you and I talked about this, right? You suggested that it might set up for a sequel. I don't think that's the case. We'll get into why. Mm -hmm. But like that's that's the difference between this book and something like The President is Missing. Because, you know, The President is Missing, certainly, it's odious, it's evil um, in its own way. But this is overt in something, in a way that it's entirely... We'll get into it. I'm still shocked. I... It's 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 nuts from top to bottom. I love looking at the, the uh, reviews at the very top. 
Salon.com says meet the new Ayn Rand is the first review listed. <laughs> and like for all the reasons that he doesn't think that's the case, yes. Uh, Ayn Rand is actually a better writer than Ben Shapiro, I'll say. Um, We're going to do The Fountainhead eventually, right? We'll have to. That or Atlas Shrugged or Anthem <laughs> at the very least. Um, but yeah, I'm looking. Ann Coulter called it provocative, intense, and about five minutes from becoming reality. Uh, so true. So true. She's about five minutes from becoming reality. Yeah. I, there's a... Uh, okay. I thought that... It says Lieutenant Colonel Allen B. West. And for some reason, I read Cornell West because I saw the C-O-L B. West. And I was like, Cornell West did not... No. Cornell West did not review this book. Thank God. What twist uh, would be? That would, that would be a twist. Hmm. Cor- Cornell West is like a character in this book being portrayed... Well, being... It, it, the, the concept of the pastor interested in social justice is fact. A uh, character that is is parodied in this book. So, so we've got another guy on here, um, Lionel Chetwind, Emmy award-winning screenwriter. I'm looking him up, him up right now. What's what's he an award-winning screenwriter of? You know, Let's we're, we're see. typically we do our research, listeners. Um, I'm not even going to edit around this probably because like we this shows I don't care about this book. Like I do not give a shit. I'm mad about this book. I will I will do my best not to give it thought. I will say almost always read the book or, or investigate or think about it. No, do not read this book. Do not think about this book. Do not pick up this book. We pirated this book. Do not give this piece of garbage a cent. Sydney, what were you saying? Sorry. I mean, it's clear that Ben didn't do like any research at all for this book. There's just so much inaccuracies of all the places that it has. S- Sydney, I'm sorry. Have you considered wokeness? Uh, woke, woke, I didn't, woke, I didn't consider wokeness. Libs have conquered our society. I also want to push back on that. He did do research in exactly one aspect. The George Washington Bridge is, in fact, 604 feet high. You can look that up on Wikipedia. He takes If it blew up, would it kill that number of people? Because that's a really... What was it, 6,000? Over 7,000. Seven, do 7,000 people at the same time on, on the bridge? It's a mile long. Now, see, uh, okay, maybe, maybe. See, we slag off Ben Shapiro for not doing research, but, you know, look who's talking. That is true. We're, we're, well, we're, no one know. else is slagging off Ben Shapiro. Well, so. you know, if you if you if you point at somebody with one finger, there's three fingers curling back at all of us, right? That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, ben Shapiro, not even in the room, owning us with facts and logic. The one finger that we're pointing at him, of course, is the middle finger. Yes, absolutely. Um, before we continue, Sydney, this is a thing all guests on the show have to do. You have you have to do a uh, Ben Shapiro impression. <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> yeah, we actually make all guests do this and edit it out. Uh huh. I'm sure you do. All right, let's let's try. Uh, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Can't can't complain. Can't complain. Let's get right into True Allegiance. This book was published in 2016. You 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 go go on this, Joss, because you looked into this. Yeah, a week before the election, the surprise uh, upset where uh, Trump beat Hillary Clinton. Not you know less of a surprise, depending on how closely you were following it from what perspective. But Ben was probably surprised. I'm gonna be honest. The the Trump was surprised. Trump was described that night as like being like looking pale and shook, shaken. I mean, I mean not to get too conspiratorial, but like. Have you ever seen the uh, Trump figurine in the Hall of Presidents? They clearly made a animatronic for Hillary and put a blonde wig oh, on it. Oh yes, I People watched a video. People thought Hillary was going to win, mm-hmm. including you know foreign governments, including um, 
You know, just just about everyone. It caught everyone flat-footed. It's so funny as well in the Hall of Presidents because, like, they take out, like, everything provocative, which is what makes Trump Trump, and right. just... He, he, he has some, like, anodyne shit about, oh, I'm standing up for the common man, which is... what? Very yeah. good. He, he himself puts the lie to that every day. Fantastic. But yeah, so it was published shortly before that. So this is sort of coming right off of an Obama presidency. This is coming right before what he figured was going to be a Hillary presidency. The president in this book is named Prescott, and it's unclear who he, what year it's supposed to be. Obama definitely was president in this world because mm. it refers to things like the Obama bin Laden raid. However, this is a president who's described as young, good-looking, a political outsider, handsome. He does a lot of stereotypes about Obama liking the media attention or whatever. And he was elected after an unpopular Republican left office, and he was running against a boring general military type. So it is an Obama stand-in, even though Obama exists in this world, kind of. And a Hillary, and just a, oh, wokeness, Ben gets mad and red in the face when he's making a point before he's able to get the point out and starts stamping his feet before he's able to. Well, you know, it's make up a guy to be mad at, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't get madder at anybody than somebody who lives entirely in your head. That's true. That's true. Um, So, Sydney, before we get into this book, Mm. tell me, where, where, what is your, you know, walking away from it? Do you feel like you learned anything? You feel like you grew? As an individual. I wouldn't say I grew. I, I learned just, like, how demented people can be in the brain. <laughs> yeah, because, because like, people like Levon and the woke left and all of them. That's who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. The, the, the villains of the book. Yes, the villains and the heroes of the piece. Like, it's... Uh, I should just get into it. Yeah, I, fe- I felt like I was being punked here and there. But, like, okay, so... Uh, There's like 16 plot lines in this book. Well, so it's, it's, I mean, as I keep saying, you know, it's love actually for reactionaries. Yeah. <laughs> love reactionary. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. exactly, which will be released any day actually, now shortly. Actually, I don't have anything. Okay. So, uh, we have our prologue. Bom, bom, bom. 2016. Bom, bom, bom. New York City. That's where it starts, New York yes. City. So, uh, we have... Ben Shapiro. Yes. Pardon me. Are you Ben Shapiro? I am. Are you looking for a hero? And we are. We are looking for a hero. Yes, and there is not one to be found. Uh, maybe one or two in here, but, you know, not the ones that Ben Shapiro wants us to find. Uh, so, yeah, Jennifer Collier is on the George Washington Bridge, which is 604 feet high, and she's with her daughter... And what, what's the daughter's name even? Uh, it doesn't matter. It, she's, she's dead anyway. She, she, yeah, she's a device. They're both devices. So, yeah, the bridge is... Blows the fuck up. 9-11-2 happens. Yeah, 9-11-2, electric boogaloo. Mm-hmm. Bigger, than the, bigger than the last one, better than the best one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the bridge is destroyed, and how does Ben Shapiro describe it? Well, she descri- it describes, it uses the quote, and this is where I knew he was going to be a really good writer. Quote, she opened her mouth to scream and realized that she was already screaming so hard no sound was emerging. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, she was screaming already, but then she opened her mouth to do so. And also that's Makes just sense. a sentence. That's not a sentence. Well, and neither, <laughs> That's not anything. 
I mean, and I mean, this is a sentence here, but like, Jennifer screamed, but it was drowned out in the ear-splitting cracking noise, hundreds of thousands of tons of steel twisting and bending and grating on each other, the sound of a million airplanes all crashing at once. That's, that's, that's a sound. That's it's something. a million 9-11s. A million, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, we've all heard a million planes. This is, this is, this is a child. This is a child dreaming of the biggest number that they can imagine, and then thinking of the loudest thing that they can imagine, and then just smashing them together. I, and and then they take down the bridge, and 9-11-2 happens. Oh, yeah, a dude in a silver Lincoln Continental gets Final Destination 5s. Just Sydney did exactly have to pause. You. you did have to pause, I think, after this scene, this prologue, because you were just, like, weeping openly for the, the unnecessary dead due to PC <laughs> culture, right, Sydney? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sydney, I have to ask, before we go on, do you have any... Um, do you have any like quotes written down, or are you just going in all vibes? Because I notice you have no notes, and I kind of respect that. No, I, I have notes. I'm I'm just so not looking at them. I, I was gonna I was gonna give you props. I was gonna I was gonna give you uh, I was gonna give you props. Now I'm gonna have to cut this, or maybe not. Um, maybe not. But oh, and and so structurally speaking, if one goes into this thing without notes, one can't expect to be as prepared for describing this book. I, I can because I have it all memorized. Um, much like, uh, because I'm a hero, much like Brigadier General Brett Hawthorne. Yes. Are, if there's a protagonist in this book, it's Hawthorne. And let's just describe him because Ben was rock hard describing this guy. Hawthorne was a bear of a man, 6'3", in his bare feet and 215 pounds in his underwear with a graying blonde crew cut and a face carved of granite. But he had plenty of smile lines. He just didn't like showing those to people unless he knew them. I just wrote fan fiction ass. Do you like, know what's funny yeah. is a little later, so he's got Brett Hawthorne and he's going into his backstory, which is what he does instead of character beats. Mm-hmm. Um, and between junior and senior years of high school, he says, Brett finally hit his growth spurt. Like his dad, he bloomed late, but when he did, he put on muscle and height like a racehorse. He sprouted five inches to six foot two. During the backstory, Brett Hawthorne loses an inch but he gains 10 where it counts baby that is true that is true ben ben has like loves to describe guys and like being made of granite being whatever like, it, it's a very funny like 200 pounds without a single shred of fat upon his form ben ben is a big fan of like the jacked like jacked guys he he, he enjoys that and um yeah, Hawthorne is the closest thing this book has to a protagonist. So there's like kind of like five of them. There's a lot of plot lines. It's a very short book, and you could cut out a third of it very easily, um, and it would still flow. Sydney, um, what did you think of General Brett Hawthorne? Um, he's a character that is in this book. It's that, that's my main thoughts on him. If you had to describe his personality, his his motivations, who he was, what would you say? Uh, what a little boy is imagining when he thinks of, like, cool military man. Absolutely. That exactly. Yes, but, like, there is, like, at least there would be, like, some swag in a kid's imagination. Like, he would do something cool at some point. What does Brett do in this book that's cool? Uh, he breaks his arm at one point. Gets his ass kicked by the Taliban. Yeah, and it doesn't end up mattering. Like, you know, he, you hear you hear that it, uh, oh yeah, you know, his arm hurts and it's, it's really bothering him, y'all. But, you know, that doesn't stop him from running. That doesn't stop him from, you know, defeating people in hand-to-hand combat. Like, it's just an inconvenience for this, uh, for this uh, brick shithouse. And, and, and Brett's backstory is that he was racially discriminated against as a white man as a child. 
Growing up, he was discriminated against notably, not just black people, but also the Irish and Italians discriminated against him oh and wouldn't boy. let him sit with them. This is in the first 10 pages. And it in the first 10 pages of this book, the first black character to show up in this book, it describes as a kid who looks, quote, like he's looking for a lifetime of prison workouts. This is in the first 10 pages describing a teenage boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, this is this is totally how normal people talk about minority characters. Absolutely. Like, it's... Oh, let's get into this kid as well. So, his name is Yard. Yeah. Because... Okay, I'll just read it from here. <laughs> ben uh, looked, I was like, what do I name my character? He looked out the window. <laughs> Yard! <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Which also explains that character called Squirrel and the character called, like, Pecan Tree. Yeah, just the little thing. Beautiful blue sky. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. So nobody knew his real name, the book says. Everybody just called him Yard because he played on the school football team, <laughs> stood six foot five, clocked in at a solid 280 pounds, the racist prison workout thing. So he plays on the football team, but his name isn't on the jersey? His name is Yard. Like, he's not in anybody's class? I guess not. Ben, as much as he wants to be an alpha male, has, like, very little familiarity with, like, alpha male things. Like, he very clearly has no real knowledge of football, certainly no first-hand knowledge. Which is fine if you're not obsessed with being the, the, the alpha like Ben is. Um, God. Just, yeah, terrible. Brett grows up to be a soldier. I want to point this out as well. So, like, the fir this first encounter, because this will be important later, this yeah. first encounter with Yard is Yard is accosting Brett, of course the aggressor in this situation, not Always. possibly provoked, because he thinks that Brett has called him the N-word. And we have a, you know, it's never explicitly stated whether this is the case, but we have a frame of reference here. Um, he'd made the mistake the day before of trying to befriend a couple of the black kids. That hadn't gone well. He'd ended up with a black eye and a few new vocabulary words to add to his dictionary. So, can we it, just marinate in that? What... Can, you, can we just ask ourselves, okay, what was he doing to get the shit beaten out of him exactly? Was he perhaps tossing around racial slurs? I like to imagine that the, he was um, in school with a character we'll soon meet, young LeVon, and LeVon was just, like, beating the shit out of Brett in high school. Oh. I, think that, I think that's good. That's good, like, lore. That's good backstory. See, some would say that that's contrived, but I think that would actually tighten the narrative mm -hmm. a little bit. The narrative needs... It's already contrived. It's gotta be tightened somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just... Somewhere, Ben, please. <laughs> and as it happens, so Brett is bailed out of the situation because he has a black friend. Like all, you know, conservative men who are worth their salt, they have a black friend. And the black friend uh, smooth talks him out of the situation. It basically, like, runs a kind of a kind of a verbal shell game on Yard. No, I called you a slur. Like, and then he starts singing Ebony and Ivory. Yeah, naturally, like, like one does. This is... Sydney, so, yeah, everyone that comes on the podcast has to sing Ebony. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go on. Is, is being a status quo ghoul like James Patterson or Bill Clinton or Ben Shapiro, like, does it turn you into somebody who makes musical references from the 70s and 80s, or does that come first and then you get into the politics of it? Because I'm thinking of the Elvis thing. Maybe it's just... Maybe it's just along the lines of, like... They're yearning for a sort of lost culture, and they have this idea of, like, what America is. And, you know, maybe when James Patterson thinks of, you know, ideal America, he thinks of Elvis and FDR and that all that. Like, he thinks of, like, that era of, like, the 40s and 50s. Maybe he thinks. And maybe Ben is, you know, thinking about, uh, thinking about 
Ronald Reagan and, and those days and the, those those days and maybe he's making those I don't know maybe that's looking too deep into it but the, this idea of like pulling from the past instead of you know because there's very little contemporary in any of this yeah this is what they took from you the woke mob now Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder can't sing anymore there is only one modern reference in this book and it's to make fun of a um, it's to make fun of a Muslim guy for not knowing what hit me baby one more time means. God, from his perspective, too. Yes, yeah. Um, so Derek, yeah, Derek does a Jonathan Lincoln Duncan, as we mm-hmm. call it. He goes into the army. In the business. Yes. Yeah. And he, he... He meets a woman. Yeah, he meets a woman and he has this really weird courtship with her. Like, he's... Buying prince. Yes, yes. He's in South Carolina training to be a Marine at the time, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And He's in Citadel. Yeah, Citadel. Yeah, he buys a he buys a picture from he, Ellen. Yeah, li- literally, he's he's at Citadel because he read a book by who was the fucking author. He read a book about somebody who's like um, whose aesthetic is like Southern, like military brat gothic, and is like, you know what? This this speaks to me. I had a football coach who went to Citadel who really? would talk about it all the time. So I was imagining, I was always imagining. Like him when I was imagining Jonathan Lincoln, or not Jonathan Lincoln, Duncan. I was imagining Brett, which he didn't look anything like him, so kind of clashed. But yeah, Brett and his wife Ellen, who goes on to become basically what Ron DeSantis used to do for the U.S. military, just be, but but for the border, Ellen goes on to be a lawyer that just upholds. I him. thought you were going to say Ron DeSantis had a miscarriage that prevented him from having children. <laughs> no, that's that's like if if Ron. He won't be, but if Ron was a Republican nominee, that would be like the October surprise. No, Ron um, is no, no. Like how Ron used to go to Afghanistan and Guantanamo uh, and yes. basically say no war crimes here. Uh-huh. Um, Ellen will go on to do that, but for the southern border, and we'll get to that. But Ellen is his his to be wife. Yes, um, can't have kids, and that makes everyone so sad. And 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 also Ellen and him always like to sign off their conversations with take a bullet for you, babe, because that's normal. Yeah, it's, it's the most normal thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, y'all do it all the time. You're married. Yeah, Cindy, yeah. Cindy you were talking about that earlier. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? I mean, that's just like the most morbid thing to sign off with someone you love. Like, I would take a bullet for you, babe. Like, I don't want you to. Are you, Once again, are, are you back going to have to? Like 15-year-old shit, like, mm-hmm. I would die for you. It's like, okay, <laughs> man. It, it may be, sure, that's cool, but like, Y'all are in a, it's not, they're not even like in a squad together or something. Mm-hmm. Like there is no real reason for them to say it. Like, it's just yes, what Ben thinks is cool. Yes, and and actually, Sydney, I'm glad you said the word morbid here because I think here is where we really get into the book's bizarre obsession with martyrdom. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Ellen's infertility in particular also kind of plays into that in a way that we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, he goes to Derek. Go, Derek. Bre- Who's Derek? Oh, Brett is oh, Derek is Brett's friend. I'm sorry, Brett. Brett goes to into the military. He goes to Afghanistan, um, and fast forward to the and oh, notably, like notably, this is you know being written in 2015 or 20 released in 2016. So we are still very much in Afghanistan at the time, which is interesting looking back now, having pulled out of Afghanistan um, on the on these like sort of disastrous days as Ben is sort of imagining. The end of the Afghanistan war. Yes. In his own, um, in his own little little twisted brain. Yes, yes, and worth one noting, you know, ben, Brett, Brett by this point has a, a star storied, starstruck military, star studded is the word, military career. Uh, he was just twenty two when they sent him to Saudi Arabia. The war was already winding down. Uh, February nineteen ninety one. Blah blah. blah. 
Um, yes, they saved Kuwait from Saddam, saved the Saudi oil fields. This spoke to me because I was just listening to blowback, right? Mm -hmm. And like all the lying that uh, lied us into there, right? The idea that Iraq was going to attack Saudi Arabia, which was a fabrication on our part. Like, so Brett's already got a kind of chip on his shoulder because like, okay, you know, like we went in there, but then like we hung everybody out to dry. When we leave, we should have stayed. We should have, you know, hit Saddam harder. Like, so already we're setting up, okay, he's got, there's a rift between him and America's uh, civilian leadership. Right, and he sets he sets up Brett as this character who's like, if we just bombed them more, there wouldn't have been 9-11. Literally, literally, like Brett's interviewed about it at one point. Brett... Um, as it happens... Brett's actually a terrible soldier, because he talks mad shit about the president to the press as a member of the armed forces, which yes. is just... I, I, again, by this book's own logic, this book doesn't hold up, because Brett's supposed to be the perfect soldier, and that's a terrible thing to do as a soldier. That's a terrible thing to do as a soldier. Well, because he's got true allegiance, right? Jesus Christ. True allegiance <laughs> to what? We will see. To the flag. Yes. So, yes, he's pissed about not bombing them hard enough, He's pissed about the um, the use of force rules. He says they can't fight back, basically, because of wokeness. This book doesn't say wokeness, because that was, like, before the term became big for the right. But, like, SJW, PC, whatever. They can't fight back because of the woke, radical lib left. Yes, yes. You know, we, they, they can't massacre uh, Afghan civilians in, their, uh, in, their co in the course of uh, trying to establish peace there. Like, because... It, it, because... He, that's the thing... Minimizing civilian casualties is directly put across purposes with um, with the lives of American soldiers, and it's like Brett literally says in the book, um, "The only way we can fix this is a 1950s style British invasion of Afghanistan, and and using British tactics." Two reasons that that's insane. One, read anything about what the British did in Afghanistan in the 1950s. Too. Do you see any Brits in Afghanistan? <laughs> they lost too, motherfucker. You're so stupid. They oh my god. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that didn't work either. Jesus Christ. Yes. So the incident that gets him that gets him particularly famous is he's in he's stationed in Afghanistan and he's in a public square and there's a donkey coming toward him and his like detachment and there's a kid on it. Um, and Brett, with his eagle eyes, spies the this cell phone strapped to the donkey that's a detonator, and he does a trick shot to destroy the detonator um, and panic the donkey without endangering any civilians, of course. And he comforts the kid who falls off the donkey, and yeah, he's on the cover of Time magazine. This is where the president starts cultivating him as, as an ally. President Mark Prescott. Mark Prescott, yes. Embrace Levon Prescottism. Levon Prescottism, yes. It, it, I mean, it, it hasn't been tried. It hasn't. No, it's tried in this book, and it works. Um, no, uh, Pre Prescott is, the, like I said earlier, he's like Ben's parody of like Obama or what he considers Hillary or something along those lines. Um, and, and Prescott, I just wrote anti-war angry emoji in my notes. Um, you know, he promotes Brett because Brett is famous. Um, but then, you know, Brett gets hit with some fake sex allegations because that always happens to good men. Those broads, me too, and people left and right. Right. And then he criticizes the president and that gets him sent back to Afghanistan with less troops. And the president basically tries to Benghazi him. Is mm -hmm. the, uh, again, Ben's idea of what happened at Benghazi. Um, but he's not good at it, basically. In the book opens up with him in Kabul. 
um, Afghanistan, which by the way, Ben immediately describes as a cyst in the heart of the mountains. Just the open racism shown, especially for Muslims, Arab people, just repeatedly calling them barbarians, cave dwellers, backwards. Yeah. It's incessant, the entire book. Not just the characters, but also the third person narrator. It never stops mm-hmm. the entire book. And of course, Brett is, of course, has to be right about everything. Yeah, it's definitely way more racism than I was expecting. Like I was, I was expecting a little bit, but it, the book basically implies that every single Muslim person's a terrorist. Yeah, or like the one good Muslim guy was like fine with terrorism for a while until nine eleven, and then became an FBI informant. And then became an FBI informant. That's the and and yeah, that's the only good Muslim guy. God, to Ben, Ben, um, yeah. Ben is also, again, not very good at working inside his own logic because this book opens up with the Taliban retaking Kabul. Um, and the people rising up and supporting the Taliban, um, they pull off an operation that just kicks the American soldiers' ass despite uh, uh, America having pulled out. This, this, in, yeah, particular, this in particular like, really, really stood out to me. I mean, I mean, first of all, so, like, again, the Ben blames nobody but the Afghans for what's going on in their country, not the invasion that's that's you know empowering warlords and um, and causing strife there, but right he says here uh, Afghan troops went AWOL, melting into the Taliban ranks, recognizing that once the U.S. was gone, they'd have no protection. I mean, you know why the Afghan army folded so quickly when the Taliban advanced on Kabul, right? It's because they were starving and poorly paid, mm-hmm. right? You know, you you want to imagine, you know, he wants us to imagine that uh, that Americans are these are these uh, benevolent uh, you know liberators and they're not, but no. So we come here. Um, they tell him to follow the lead of Ambassador Beauregard Feldkauf. That guy who, rules. Yeah, yeah, that guy rules. You know, the, just this like, just this like, effete, so totally like ineffectual politician, major donor to the president. Um, he then proceeded to bungle the job so badly that none of the local Afghan warlords would even talk to each other. Which I wouldn't. Wouldn't that unite? people against America? Like, I mean, I think, but... There's also just the fact of the matter that Ben is even, under their own logic, acknowledging that the U.S. is working with warlords to keep Afghanistan running. Yes, yes. But then but then we get, in my circuitous way, to what really pissed me off. So, uh, this paragraph here. Uh, at 9.13 a.m., the Taliban launched three simultaneous raids on the outskirts of Kabul. The raid kept U.S. troops and their sparse allies occupied for just a few precious minutes. Long enough for a fuel truck to drive into the center of the city. The driver approached the crowded Kabul Furushka, parked the vehicle, and then whispered to himself, Allahu Akbar. And then, of course, suicide bombing. I want to point out, this chapter, the whole book, is told from a third-person, non-omniscient point of view. Mm. We're seeing this from Brett, from Brett's point of view in this chapter. We know what he knows, except for here, where it diverts to this particular driver. It's... This sentence is essentially a, a sacrament for bigots. It's a fucking racist communion wafer, right? How do we know the driver whispered it to himself? Oh, because this is what those people do. That's what Brett. That, that's what Ben's doing. Like it's, it's. Joss, I hate to tell you this, but have you considered wokeness? I, I have frequently have you considered. considered. Have you considered the radical left SJW? I'm going to become a professional school. BLM wokeness, gender ideology, critical race theory. Have you considered that? Yeah. No, gender is over. Okay. Okay. Good okay. point. Yeah, no, no, it's abs- it's absolutely insane. It also just breaks the rules of writing. Not how it works. Not how a third-person close narrative works. And he does this throughout the book a bunch of times. I didn't bother to write them all down, but it happens over and over. He breaks the concept of a third-person close. Sometimes it's omniscient, sometimes it's not. So it's just a functionally, like, 
fail fail of a narrator failure of being a narrator just as a writer again getting back to this fan fiction ass bullshit um and you know this is the kind of guy who likes to whine about participation trophies who likes to whine about people needing a hand up if ben was not just this conservative whiny pundit who had his following of just like failed children he this book would not be published anywhere just this book you could tell like this this would not have gone anywhere this is a just fundamental failure on every level not just ideologically but it does not work as a book mm -hmm. it is bad sorry Sydney, you look like you have a thought oh it's just the amount of times the perspective changes just like mid chapter sometimes mid paragraph Nothing to warn you is changing. You have to go back and reread it just to figure out what's going on. Which is funny because the top of the chapter has the name of the character. So it should be from their perspective. Like, that's how that works. But regardless, the, Afgan the, the Afghanis' resistance and the Taliban defeat the remaining U.S. soldiers. Brett has a whole, like, hero moment where he's trying to run away. He tells Brett and his... Uh, one of his guys jump off a 40-foot building and he says, roll and you'll be fine because Ben thinks iframes are real. <laughs> um, it, 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 it describes a man getting shot as looking like a Pez dispenser. It, 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 is, it is deeply baffling. And then just, you know, um, it, it goes a little out of order, but Ben, ben describes this guy running to the airport. His arm is hurt. He gets to the airport. They've slaughtered everyone, including the, uh, the Lib ambassador, and he gets taken in by the terror. The end of that part of the story, we switch to President Mark Prescott, who is planning to do a, uh, a communism, Nazism, woke, liberal jobs program. Yes, he's definitely afraid of becoming Jimmy Carter. Um, ben Shapiro makes the Jimmy Carter comparison a few times, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, you know, somebody somebody who, who, who tried his hardest and just couldn't. It's, he's got a weird amount of, of I want to say, respect or grudging respect for Jimmy Carter. Maybe. I don't I don't know, because they hate Jimmy Carter. Like, they do. They do. But I mean it's it's I didn't I didn't see a whole lot of vitriol in it. Maybe I'm just not immersed enough in this stuff. I, I remember Jimmy Carter being like so often cited as like an example of like the most like the most failed president. Um and like it was a terrible president. Um, you know, you want to talk about why there's a war in Afghanistan. <laughs> talk to Jimmy Carter, but like not for the reasons they think far from the furthest left economic president. In fact, he deregulated a lot of stuff. The stuff he did to the truckers unions, what he allowed credit card companies to get away with in the early 70s. But that's not really the point. It's a weird comparison, but he, Mark Prescott has now this vision of making a basically jobs guarantee, not even a jobs guarantee program, a program that incentivizes companies to hire people. And if they don't hire people, there is a, basically the government will directly hire people to work in key industries. Am yes. I describing that correctly? Yeah. And what's it called? Because it's got a really good and creative and clever name. Yes, yes. The, the Work Freedom Program, which if you're a student of history, and in particular, if you're a, uh, if you're a conservative student of history, as Ben Shapiro's target audience is, that immediately uh, um, lights a candle in your brain. Work Freedom. Oh, who else said uh, stuff about work and freedom? Hmm. Arbeit macht frei. The Nazis. Work liberates. Like he's he's that's the that's the tenuous connection that he's making in your head with with again just a jobs guarantee program. That's it. And and let me read this quote because yeah, obviously he's doing the work will make you free thing. But listen to this quote that is supposed to be the definition of unreasonable. Quote: Everyone recognizes the value of freedom. 
But what did that mean other than the right to a job? Freedom meant nothing if you couldn't put bread in your child's mouth at night. And America is a country of workers. Freedom was work and work was freedom. Work freedom, simple, easy, repeatable. And like, look, obviously the work freedom, like we can see what he's doing there. But the concept that it is a wild idea to say you should be able to put bread in the mouth of your child and that you are unfree if you can't do that. And Ben is like scoffing at that idea. He's, he's, he's not good at this. And he's not, to be clear, he's not doing a thing where he's writing a villain who has noble intentions. Like, it's not that. Because if he was doing that, then that would be something. A villain who wants to have a good goal and fails, it is not that. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, not Mark Prescott, Prescott is, is he, you know, right here. The hand-picked protege of the power brokers, mm-hmm. right? You know, he, he dodges uh, he dodges all the exposés about his early political career, his rocky marriage, his connections to some of the more shady characters in town. You know, he's yeah. 100% a, a, a manipulator. Which those are all mostly Obama references there, <laughs> talking about the background, the Chicago machine, things yes. like that. It's... It, he even he even throws in the bit of no one reads like me off a teleprompter, which is literally was a um, was like a uh, outrage of the week around the time he was writing this book about Obama and teleprompters, like one of those Fox News outrages of the week. Oh, was he wearing a tan suit? And Honestly, I'm surprised. Suit? I'm surprised the tan suit didn't. Sydney, <laughs> um, what did you think of President Mark Prescott? I mean, it's it's clear what he's trying to do there. Like, it's very, the Obama inspiration's very clear. It's clear he's just like. These are what all the all the woke liberals are like. They all just want the media to love them and people to love them. They don't believe any of this shit. Um, what do you think? What What do you think of Mark Prescott as a guy? Do you not what Ben is going for? But but would you follow Mark Prescott on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very good. What do we think Mark Prescott's posting? You got any good ideas? Selfies. Uh, he's probably read fucking President is missing. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> At the end of the day, he doesn't describe a guy that's particularly socialist, Marxist, anything like that, despite no. him wanting him to be. He doesn't describe a guy that's... The guys to the right of FDR, I'd say, pretty objectively, and LBJ for that mm-hmm. matter. The work freedom pro which Ben would probably call FDR and LBJ Marxists. But, like, the work freedom program is essentially, like, not even as extreme as some of the jobs guarantees that, like, helped... During the New Deal, and no, like certainly not. And the New Deal wasn't socialism, to be oh, clear. Oh yeah. So there's a uh, there's a book called The Color of Law. Um, I forget precisely the author, but uh, let me look it up right quick. The Color of Law. It's about the. Is it, is it a sequel to The Color of Magic? How do you know? <laughs> yes, the color, of, the color of Terry Law by we'll Terry Pratchett. No, yeah, by we'll Richard Rothstein. It's it's about um, it's about uh, de jure uh, like segregation and housing in the United States, right? And. I'm, re- I'm currently reading that right now. It's It, it came to my mind because when you said um, we were talking about the New Deal, right? Right. So I was aware that child labor, that child labor restrictions have been looser historically in the agricultural industry. Right. The reason that Still is, are. yes, and the reason that is, Rothstein points out, is that was a concession to get Southern Democrat votes on the New Deal mm-hmm. because the agriculture industry, uh, especially in those states, predominantly employed black people. Right. And how best to keep black kids out of school than to keep them in the fields. Right. It's, Notably, it's, I did some work for uh, Liberation News on an article about child labor. Uh, by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's own admission, there are still over half a million children who work in the fields under mm-hmm. the age of 12. Mm-hmm. That's by, and that's by the admission of the Department of Agriculture. They're not gonna. That's they're gonna do the numbers that make them look the absolute best. Most of them being um, migrant labor. 
Um, of course, Ben sees the migrant labor only as very dangerous, but we'll get to that. Well, there's somebody who uh, does migrant labor rights, you know, in his eyes, you know, that will soon meet. But, um, yeah, but, so that's that's what the president is doing. The president is borrowing for the money from China. There's, like, implication that that's going to be a plot line, and it really isn't aside from... It doesn't from go anywhere. At the very end, there's a reference to the Chinese, like, owning America, but, like, whatever. Um, but, like... They're borrowing money from China. Okay, who gives a shit? Ben doesn't understand how borrowing money in the government even works because he's like, we have no money. And it's like Ben needs to, doesn't know anything about concepts like modern monetary theory. Ben doesn't understand the concept of really anything. Ben, ben doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what a bond is. Ben the is not... dollar, the world reserve currency. Right. There are actually, like there are smart conservatives. They're evil, but smart conservatives. Ben is not... Which is, which is, is, it's weird, right? Because there's one thing that he gets right in this chapter, and that, and it's that the official unemployment figures don't count people who have stopped looking for work. That's true, yeah. It's broken clocks, you know? Well, they, they used that a lot. Um, that was a big grievance in the Obama years when Obama cited unemployment going down, is they said, well, it's probably people who aren't looking for work. Mm. Now, it is true that the actual unemployment numbers were higher given that. However, Employment did go down to some degree during the Obama presidency. I would hope so if coming off of a recession, you know, like, but it, it's a, that was just like one of those things. There's a lot of here. If you like know the language of the like sort of Fox News, right? In like 2014 through 2016, it's just riddled through here. Because at the end of the day, Ben is online as anyone, probably the most online of all of us. He has his main account, but he probably has like 10 sock puppet accounts. Um, and that's the truth. Um, Soledad Ramirez. Yes, this is the next chapter. Here's a plot line that doesn't need to be in the book. <laughs> Sydney, tell us about Soledad Ramirez. This is the one that particularly pissed me off because of the involvement and assumed power of the EPA. So she's a cattle rancher in California, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she's pissed at the government because due to an endangered fish, the water's been cut off to her ranch. Not completely. She still gets water, just not enough. And now she's having to sell off all her cattle. Cattle's dying because of the, the stupid, powerful EPA. Like that, that just particularly pissed me off because not only did the EPA not have this kind of power, they, they cater to cattle ranchers more than anyone. Like Currently, the gray wolf is almost extinct in America just because cattle ranchers wanted to continue killing them. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, just to, uh just to show your cards here, what did you study in college? Environmental science. So, yeah. is it possible that you are working for the EPA right now, and you are you are maybe on speaking on their behalf, defending this sort of corrupt system from the inside, um, and that maybe you are like a mole for the EPA on this podcast? Uh, it's possible, but I think I would have better looking paychecks if I worked for the EPA. That's fair enough. This has been the socialist shilf. <laughs> I, 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 I was trying to come up with a good riff off of that, but we'll just, I don't put sound effects in this often, but it would be funny if I put like a boing, oing, oing, oing. Listener, if I don't cut this part out, then you'll know that that's what like I intended to do and didn't. Um, but yeah, the, the, so that Ramirez, because, and it, the sly implication is California's water problems are not because of climate change, but because of the Double. EPA, because of wokeness. Um, climate change and billionaires, like, yeah, literally stealing. Yeah, literally stealing it, using it for cash crops mm -hmm. like, instead of, instead of, like, it, and, yeah, and, and Soledad Ramirez, oh, and this is how you know she's one of the good ones. She brings the SWAT team's cookies. 
And why are there SWAT teams? The SWAT teams are at her farm because she blew up the Environmental Protection Agency's (laughs) building in California. And that's okay in Ben's eyes. This is remarkable to me. Like, within within almost back-to-back chapters, we've had two truck bombs. One from the Taliban, one from this 52-year-old, like, smallholder, like, small business tyrant rancher. But the one is okay because it serves American capital. Mm-hmm. And the other is not because it's the Taliban. The yeah. funniest thing about it is that she describes she uses all her fertilizer and manure to make the bomb. Mm-hmm. If she had simply taken that and put it on the soil... She could have started growing like a, a low water crop, like oats or soy, and saved her ranch. Well, soy, of course, you would suggest eating soy. Uh-huh. Once again, the woke lives. The That's just game. what cattle ranchers usually. No, I, I know, I know. Soy, soy boys. And, like I, should, and, 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 and I should say, like, yeah. not specifically like the Taliban's truck bomb, even though it's even though it's the Taliban's truck bomb in this, but like that you can be a small business owner in America and and resort to these tactics, right? But. Ben here is identifying any and all resistance from Afghanistan with the worst and the most fucked up. You know, not to say that, you know, we didn't we didn't fight people who were doing truly sick shit in Iraq and Afghanistan, but like he's identifying all resistance with the worst of the worst, like with the Abu Musab al Zarqawis, mm-hmm. right? It's also notable that he says she was broke with only twenty five thousand dollars, a few hundred head of cattle left in her ranch. Oh boy. And it's like I'm sad. For you, Soledad, that you don't have water on your ranch. $25,000, a few hundred head of cattle on a ranch is still pretty damn good. I'm sorry. To say that she's gone, it's fine. Whatever. But, like... And so also, she, like, drinking she, water yeah. for, for entire communities. That's going away. Yeah. She's now got, though, a militia around her to protect her. And oh, so, <laughs> this so, is so funny. So I wrote, she did a base patriot unabomber on the EPA. Based patriots come protect. Standoff, three exclamation points. Cookies! Three exclamation points. That's my notes on the chat. Her ranch is surrounded by the SWAT team, but then that SWAT team is surrounded by an even bigger perimeter of, like, right-wing militia dudes? Yeah. It's pretty cool. And then one of them ends up, and that's in a future chapter, but it's, like, fine. Uh, One of them named Adrian, right? One of the SWAT guys is like, this isn't the country I signed up to serve. And so he, like, gets her out of there and, like, slaughters several guys. Um... And, uh, yeah, it gets, they go on the run with some of her based patriots and uh, form anti-Antifa. Oh, uh, yeah. Do, do, the, do the canceling out in your own head. Yeah, this is like the, like the alt-universe version of, like, Clive and Bundy, like how that goes, right? But speaking of, um, you know, armed groups trying to get their wishes, let's talk about the greatest character in the entire fucking book. Let's fucking go! Levon Williams, <laughs> yes, of Detroit, Michigan. Detroit was a shithole, but it was his shithole. That's a that's like the quote that's like immediately after he gets introduced. Ben is a racist, if y'all yes. didn't know this. Yes, he describes Detroit as a shithole thrice in four sentences. And <laughs> we were in Detroit. Yeah, it was there a few weeks, weeks ago. ago. It's fine. Cindy, what was that building you were talking about? We'll get back to it, but Oh the um this Detroit Central Station, I think. Yeah, that they use because they said it's burnt out. No one can invest in it. No, whatever. We were there. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, 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 it's They started refurbishment, refurbishment in 2011. And by 2015, like, the, all the windows were replaced. Electricity was back up. Like, People the, do the basement stuff there. had been drained. Mm-hmm. It's, it's occupied. There, there are people there refurbishing it. It's, 
It's not like half burnt down, covered in graffiti, like he described. We were on 8 Mile. There were businesses on 8 Mile. They aren't all boarded up or protection racket barber shops. Uh, 8 Mile is where the good Kroger is. <laughs> I will say I would I would like watch a miniseries about a protection racket barber shop. That oh, does seem yeah. like a good idea. Mm. Um, I'm surprised that hasn't been done. That has to have been. Might have been. That would be pretty good comedy. But yeah, LeVon runs uh, crack, sells crack. Runs a barber shop this, and a protection. This rack. pissed me off so hardcore. Like so, this is this is one of the parts where Ben just like goes off the rails and does a conservatism, right? Where he just uh, drops a few conservative talking points that you know doubtless you run into on social media at some point if you're online. Um, uh, Levon and his crew shuttled crack cocaine. That drug had gone out of style in the mid 1990s, thanks to the federal crackdown on crack dealers. Black politicians had been the biggest advocates of putting crack dealers on different footing than powder cocaine dealers. You see what he's doing here? He's holding black people responsible for their community's own over-policing, right? It's this grand moving of the goalposts here as the right gives ground on this stuff, right? First, they advocated for different treatment for crack v. cocaine. Then they said that black politicians do it, yeah. right? Right? It's 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 vile. It's and it has nothing to do with the block, to be clear. He no, just decides to talk about it. And But yeah, LeVon... Despite it being, you know, involved in all this gang stuff or whatever. 6'3", 220 pounds. Notably, he's got an inch and, what, five pounds now on the bread? Yeah, no. Big, big strong guy. Um, big, strong guy um, who is, uh, he went to college, college educated, quotes Shakespeare sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, notably, there's like... Some weird stuff about he gets a rush out of fighting, like when he would debate college Republicans. And then he talks about, like, sleeping with white women and stuff like that in this uh, way that, like, first of all, again, I'm going to say it again, Ben's a racist. Mm -hmm. But second of all, I genuinely believe Ben, believe ben got out-debated in college by a guy who then fucked his girlfriend. This, this, like, this, I think yes. that I think really Ramon so. is a real guy who fucked his girlfriend. It has to have been somebody. Because, like, there's, there's examples of college students, like, standing up to him and, like, taking the fight to him. And, you know, he doesn't post those, of course. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think when Ben was in college... I, I, I don't know. Like, there's obviously the whole racist. It's, I mean, it's all, it's all racist. It's old timey racism too. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it I, we'll talk about it. Like it plays into all the rights, like darkest fears about black men coming in and like defiling white women's virtue. Right. And LeVon is now um, in cahoots with Big Jim, a pastor civil rights leader. Yes. yes. Um, and Big Jim is basically like an Al Sharpton, Cornell West, some one of those guys. Any, any black community leader, right. Who speaks out? You know, whenever, whenever there's a few decades ago, he would yeah. have he would have used this would have been an MLK stand-in. Now, oh, now Ben can pretend 100%. like he would have been buddies with MLK because you know the same the same thing that that Lenin identified that people can call themselves Marxists after Marx died and then said don't laugh mm -hmm. that classic thing they now do it with you know great civil rights heroes and Ben does the same thing. But yeah, and, and Big Jim and Levon come up with a dark plot. Um, and we'll explain, in the dark plot is to get a kid, an eight-year-old boy, to harass a police officer until the police officer murders the child. Um, it describes the scene. There is an eight-year-old boy who is wearing a Homer Simpson t-shirt, and he's got a toy gun in his pocket, and he's threatening the cop with it. And the cop shoots the eight-year-old boy, and blood pools out of Homer Simpson's face, is the exact quote. And this is written like a horror film. 
Mm. Right? The kids, like, the kids using, like, he sounds like an adult. Like, he's deliberately mm. written to sound like that. And, like, the cop, it's from the cop's perspective. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. Like, he has a he has a brief flash of, like, like fight or flight instincts that drives him to pull the gun it's and shoot the kid. wild, especially considering this is, like, a real thing that has happened. Mm. And to, like, use real stories, which there are real stories of young black boys being killed by police having toy guns on them. To me, Rice. And to, yeah, and to not just use that story at all, which is vile, mm. but to use that story and to apply there was some kind of, like, plot behind it from the left. Right. You, and, he's not even able to just say, hey, there was a bad cop and then the left used it in a bad way. Because he's not subtle enough to even do that. No, the cop himself, like, similarly to Brett talking about how the United States wages war, right? The cop is like, oh, you know, I can't use force because of the big bad consent decree in my city. And notably, like... Without, notably, the cop like will get off for this. The the um, DA will get them off, and I'll say the conspiracy aside, which the DA doesn't find out about. How the hell did he get off for this? There is no reason for him to get off for this. He shot a kid with a toy gun. Yeah, I do also want to note the the book describes this. The kid number one never takes the fake gun out of his like pocket, and number two, the the cop describes throughout the whole thing. That he's never 100% positive it even is a gun that the kid is reaching for. Like, it it could be his cell phone. It could have been a piece of candy. He, he does also describes know. him as being point blank. It just, there's so many things that don't work here. But it, it, once again, within the Ben's own logic, this doesn't work. Yeah. This cop murders a kid and we are supposed to feel bad for the cop. Mm-hmm. There is, and, and, and he wants to create this like fake Antifa BLM conspiracy around it. Uh, and he's going to spread lies about LaVon, the liberator. And LaVon did not pay that kid to do that. I do not believe that. I will back LaVon. Uncritical support for LaVon. Marxist LaVon is. Yes. Uh, yes. Because LaVon is awesome in this book for the most part. And But, but like, it, it's, it's very frustrating. And, of course, they're going to do a whole civil rights movement off of them. And it's just, like, BLM scaremongering. This I didn't notice before. So this next chapter here is Ellen, right? Because Ellen's a staffer for, um, for the governor of Texas. Bubba. So Bubba. it starts... Oh, El Paso, Texas. Yes, Bubba. Another dead kid. That's the first sentence of uh, Ellen's chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's back-to-back. Like, the police officer, Ricky O'Sullivan, shoots the kid. And then El Paso starts off with... Another dead kid, right? But... But it's a different one. Yes, it's a different one, A. And B, it's not, you know, the Border Patrol that's brutalizing kids like in real life. It's, oh, the coyotes, you know, the people who move people across the border. They really did a number on him. Like, again, it's back-to-back. He's using... He's put. He, he's putting. He's putting the brutalization of minors of color in this same frame of reference, right? That it's always their fault. That they're always doing it to themselves. Not the repressive force of you know the white settler colonial state that we live in. And if you want to like even more proof of that, in that same within a few pages of that, it talks about they're letting minors across the border, and then it says, but minors can be ages fourteen to seventeen gang age like God. and i just wrote fuck you ben fuck you ben fuck <laughs> you after that because like what else is there to say and in that same part she says this is texas not cartel country about oh, people God. dying and anyway the cartels murk ellen's friend vivian um and she runs back to tell governor based bubba who is 
So, Bubba Davis, yes, is the governor of Texas. I imagine him as, like, there's a video game called Shattered Union about a second American Civil War that I used to play, and the governor of Texas in the opening cutscene of that game looks exactly like how I imagine him. Um, for stuff that more people than just me have seen, imagine um, Sergeant Pepper from Live and Let Die, like yes. that one James Bond film. Yeah. Just, you know, just... just White, doughy, kind of, uh, you know, a, a cigar chomping, you know, just, just the, the, the caricature of the ugly America. Sydney, what do you, what do you think about all this? You've been quiet for a second there. Uh, well, first of all, I think Bubba Davis is the perfect name for a governor of Texas. Tell him what his uh, campaign slogan was. Oh, Don't let them horn swoggle you. <laughs> Don't let them horn swoggle you. And Ben is gonna like talk about like oh people who look down on Southerners. Ben is writing a Southerner like this. Mm -hmm. That's not... Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's not... Come on, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, I'm from Texas. I've never once said the word hornswoggle. hornswoggle. It's well, a great... Well, there you have. I will say it's a great, it's a got great word. I gotta hand it to him. Hornswoggle's a great word. I'm not mad at it. But it's just... It's so absurd. And Bubba Davis is gonna be basically the guy in government who's our hero in this book. Um, who he's going to represent the like institutional resistance. This is just... And he militarizes the border even further. He implied... This book implies the border has no security on it. And Bubba Davis basically will... Um, and Ben's ahead of the curve on the whole let's invade Mexico thing. That's now very much in vogue. But this book is all about how we need to invade Mexico. At least in the Ellen parts. Yes, yes. Because, you know, just like... Just like Ricky O'Sullivan complains about in the previous chapter, right? Oh, you know, the police are underfunded, you know, despite the fact that, you know, I mean, it's this, it's, it's, it's all, it's all the same for, from, from then here, right? He complains about the police being underfunded, right? This is four years before 2020, which saw the biggest uprising is against police brutality, um, in, in living memory, perhaps. Um, and we don't see a, and we don't see a single reduction to a police budget greater than like a single digit percent. In fact, Biden in his first year in Congress doubles the federal police hiring budget, right? So this 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 short staffing, this budget problem doesn't exist that Ben is saying does, right? And by the same token here, uh, Customs and Border Patrol, ICE, which he specifically name drops, is also said to be short staffed and underfunded and completely unable to deal with, oh, you know, there's a flood of immigrants coming over the border. Oh, there's a crime wave. Oh, you know, minors are being, you know, brutalized. Again, you know who's known for brutalizing you know migrants in their care? American Border Patrol personnel, right? He he literally like we he mentions a uh, scramble to find baby formula, right? And I remember um, I remember listening to a Tucker Carlson piece on Fox News back when he had a show like just for some like opposition research, and he brought up baby formula during the shortage, right? And he's like, oh, you know, Biden's sending baby formula down to the border, like you know, starving you know you know. The, the good, honest American white babies, he implied. And literally, like, he's he's taking these, these uh, he's taking this problem of corporate um, negligence depriving, um, depriving people of necessities, and he's imputing it on, you know, people trying to cross the border in search of basic subsistence, right? And that's, and that's what it is, right? It's, 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 it's it literally, it's literally just, we have to have a supply baby formula to keep people from perishing and starving. But literally, Ben is like, no, these people are coming here and stealing it. Like, it's, I'm getting less and less articulate as I'm raging about this, but you see what I'm saying, right? It's all, America cannot fail, it can only be failed. And it can only be failed by these outsiders or by these fifth columners who live here. Speaking of America not failing, only being failed, the Taliban's kicked the shit out of everyone. 